0: This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well it's good to be in the house of the Lord on Wednesday evening, isn't it? Amen. I I, I take you're more excited than what you sound like. I know. You're just you're hiding it. That, that's fine. That's fine. Some people are like that. Not normal people, but okay. so what we've got going on tonight uh, is this. um, We're going to go ahead and bring the ushers up for our uh, Wednesday evening tithes and offerings. Um, Let's remind you uh, this Friday night is the rooted group, uh, lift rooted your camp out over there at Al Canyon. How many of you all are going out to that? Oh, wow. All right. Good. Good. Will you all have fun, you know. Behave yourselves, don't do anything that I wouldn't do, which yeah, there's, yeah, anyway, I don't know, but just have a good time. What's that? <laughs> yes. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, and so, of course, we got all this Harvest Fest stuff coming up. So just uh, stay in the loop on Harvest Fest, because as we know, that's ev- everybody in the church gets involved. That's uh, that is our gift and our ministry to this community. So stay in the loop. Lots of stuff going on. It'll be a great, big, wonderful night. Give out lots and thousands of bags of candy and all sorts of stuff. So, but more important than that, we'll give out Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, if you need an envelope for your tithes and offerings, raise your hand and the ushers will give you one. And let's open our Bibles here to Philippians chapter four. Let's look at a verse here. We don't want to do anything in here without having some word to stand on. I mean, we don't want to take up the offering. We don't want to pray for you. We want the Word of God in every aspect of our lives. Philippians chapter 4. And of course, this is probably pretty familiar if you've ever studied finances from Scripture or if you've uh, been been standing on some word for finances. Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look here at verse 19. Philippians 4.19 and in the King James, of course, it says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And I like the NLT here. It says "And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad that God doesn't supply all of our needs according to whatever the United States economy is? Amen. Come on. Uh, my God shall supply all of your needs according to your employer, and if they made a lot of money this quarter, no, it doesn't have anything to do with that. My employer is not my provider. I mean, God uses them, and that's fine, but my provider is Jesus. And that's where a lot of people go wrong. A lot of Christians there. I mean, God will use a lot of avenues. He will use your employer to help provide for your needs. But you're going to get yourself in trouble if you get your eyes off of Jesus and you start seeing that job as being your source of provision. It's an avenue, but it's not the source. Amen. And you've got to realize that that Jesus can supply your needs with or without that. He'll find another way. But God will supply all of my needs according to His riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And and He, amen, I mean, you got to just... Remember, Jesus is the source. And He'll use a lot of avenues, but He's the source. And that's why it's real easy to tithe. It's real easy to give offerings. It's real easy to help feed the poor and to do the great things that Christians are called to do because you realize... God's going to supply all my needs. What do I care? I'm going to do what he said to do. And I don't have to worry about it because he's going to supply and make up the difference. And then some amen. All right. Well, this isn't an offering uh, sermon tonight. So let's get moving here so we can get into the real sermon. Let's go ahead and say our financial faith confession. And uh, we'll bring the the uh, our tithes and offerings up. And uh, remember, man, these are not just words we say. OK, don't let this be a tradition you speak words of faith over your finances, alright? And realize that God really will supply your needs. But you we don't just speak words because we got nothing better to do. We speak words of faith because it works. Amen. Who wants to lead us in the faith confession tonight? All right. Leanne, come on up. Come on down. <laughs> tonight is your night. All right. You have it memorized, right? No? Oh. Okay. <laughs> Everyone has it memorized till they get up here. <laughs> right. I'll use that. As we bring the Lord's tithe and give offerings today, we believe we receive jobs or better jobs, promotions, raises and bonuses, benefits, sales and commissions, growth in business, settlements, estates and inheritances, interest and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, bills paid off, debts paid off royalties receive, and blessings increase. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs so I have more than enough to take good care of my family, to give generously to the kingdom of God, and to promote the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Sorry about the Minnesota accent, (laughs) y'all. To catch you up on Wednesday nights, we've been doing a series called Call of Duty Spiritual Warfare. Amen. We've been studying spiritual warfare and uh, I mean, we've been getting a lot of feedback on this. I mean, lots of people are listening and uh, and it's really great, I I mean, it surprises me how far that podcast can reach people. It's incredible. I mean, people all over the world will contact us sometimes, Japan, Holland, South Korea, uh I mean just all these other countries. It's incredible the people that are listening to this little church here in Barstow, California. But praise God. Uh the Lord the Lord uses uses these things. So uh but tonight we're on part four of our Call of Duty spiritual warfare series. Last week we started looking at the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six, and I was overly ambitious and I only made it halfway through. So we're gonna to use tonight to finish the rest of it, but to just kind of review a little bit. Uh, you got to realize to fully understand the armor of God, you need to realize the soldiers that Paul was relating these things to. Because to somebody that lived back in this day and age, he mentions things like the breastplate of righteousness and, and the belt of truth to gird your loins, he says. And I mean, they just they got that. They saw that because they were familiar with what the combat gear of the day looked like. But for us, if I mean, I never come up to anybody and say, have you girded your loins today? Like what? What does that mean, you weirdo? Like, we don't talk like that. But but listen, somebody that was familiar with the uh, with the, the combat gear of that day, they're like, oh, man, I get that. That makes sense. So he's relating things obviously to the Roman soldiers of that day and to somebody that lived in Ephesus in this day and age. These things made perfect sense. They didn't have to stretch their imagination at all. And so what we're trying to do here is explain the spiritual aspect of what each of these are and kind of also give you a little bit of a description of what the Roman battle gear was like. So so you can see a little bit of the angle that Paul was coming from. Now, I give credit to Pastor Willie George out of Tulsa, who I learned a lot of this from. This is I learned a lot of this from Pastor Willie George, so I just I'll throw that out there. So last week we looked at three different aspects. Of your battle gear. And so um, let, let's go ahead and look at Ephesians chapter six, verses 11 through 17. Let's go ahead and turn over there. Ephesians six. 11 through 17, because I believe that it is definitely time. If you say that you're a soldier in the army of God, you ought to know what your armor is. You ought to know what it does, how to put it on and what to do with it once it once it's there. Because, I mean, it would just make no sense at all to send uh, soldiers and Marines out to battle and like just, you know, I've seen this before, but I don't know what it's what it's for. But we better take that. I mean, they know what their equipment is, how to use it, what it's for. And they, uh, they are very well educated on how to use their stuff because they realize that they're talking about life and death right there. And and you can see that. But I wish we could all see that spiritually speaking. We're talking about life and death right here. You need to know how to be a soldier in the army of God, and you need to take it serious. Because guess what? Even if you don't, the devil takes it serious. Just because you, you know, just because some Christians decide, well, I mean, yeah, it's in there. I I don't, I don't know. I think you're kind of overdoing it here. Well, the devil doesn't think that he's going to overdo it on you. Listen, you've got to be serious because your enemy is serious. And if Christians were as serious as their adversary was, we'd be kicking some booty around here. We'd be doing a lot more than what we're doing. So Ephesians 6, starting at verse 11 in the New King James, it says, put on the whole armor of God. Does it say put on at least 50% of that stuff? You may need it someday. No, it says put on all of it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles, that means tricks. So he says, you need to put on every piece of your armor so you can stand against the tricks of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And that's where most people completely get it wrong right there, because you do think that you're warring and and wrestling against people. You think that people are the problem and it's really not. It's the devil that works through people. That's the problem. And so Paul reminds us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people here, because when you fight people, it's a losing battle. You weren't ever promised victory in physically fighting people. You were promised victory when you fight through Jesus Christ spiritually. And so we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And as we said last week, that's a much deeper teaching, but all those things he just mentioned, those are different classes and levels of the demonic host, okay? That's different levels of demons there. And we're not, you know, we're not getting into all that right now, but he could have just said, but we but we fight against the devil. He he listed four or five different uh, different classes and levels of demonic warfare there. Verse 13, therefore, take up again, he says, the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Anybody ever met the evil day? Did it show up ever for you? Seems like some weeks I've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, evil day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, evil day. So, I mean, it sometimes it shows up twice a week. And what do you do? Well, if you know how to fight the good fight of faith, You're in good shape. But again, if you don't know if the helmet of salvation goes on your head or your foot, then you're probably going to get shot with an arrow. All right. Verse 14. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, we're breaking this down. Last week, we looked at three things. We looked at, number one, the belt of truth, if you're here for that. And we realized the belt isn't just, you know, a quarter a quarter inch wide belt from Walmart. The belt of truth, the Roman soldier's belt that he wore, was the centerpiece to all of the armor. And it was about this wide, okay? It covered everything, and it, it even had straps of leather going down to guard his shins. It was it was a legit belt. I mean, it would be sweet to walk around Barstow wearing, the, like, the belt of truth, you know, you'd look like a, you know, the Macho Man Randy Savage or something like that. But anyway, so you got the belt of truth. Then, of course, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, and uh, and that's to guard your your torso. But uh, we broke that down. That's going to guard your heart. And how important is your heart to your survival? Well, I've never taken a stab to the heart, but I don't care to. And I know that Proverbs four twenty three tells me to guard my heart above all else for it determines the course of my life. It affects everything I do. So I'd say the breastplate of righteousness is pretty important to guard your heart with. And then finally, we looked at the boots of peace. As it says right there, it says to have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, boots or shoes signify somebody actually going and doing something. And so the boots of peace... That can be applied to your life when you go and you actually share the gospel with somebody else, the gospel, of the preparation of peace. And sadly, if we ask for a show of hands, which I will not do right now, the majority of people that I've asked have never led somebody else in a prayer of salvation. The majority of Christians. Now, hopefully a lot of you have, but the majority that I've talked to when I've done my own personal surveys have never, ever led somebody else in a prayer of salvation. And so do you have the boots of the preparation of the gospel of peace on. I I don't know if you do. I mean, you need to talk to God about that. But no matter what, as a Christian, you're definitely called to go and tell somebody else about Jesus. Even if you're not a full time pastor, you're called to tell somebody about Jesus. All right. So let's go ahead and get in tonight. We're going to do the next the next few. Hopefully we'll get this finished tonight. Let's look at the fourth thing it tells us here, and that is the shield of faith. The shield of faith, and that is in Ephesians six sixteen, And we just read this verse, but I'll repeat it. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And so uh, the shield of faith, that's pretty important. You, got, you need to have a shield when you're going into battle. And the shield of faith not only defends our whole body, but also defends our armor. It keeps the arrows of the enemy away from the head, the chest, the waist, the arms and legs. And did you notice here that Paul said above all, take the shield of faith. All of this stuff's important, but he specifically, he I mean, he wrote right here, above all, take the shield of faith. And so what happens when we run into battle and we got our boots on, but man, we don't have the shield of faith. We may have this aspect and that aspect, but you don't have the shield of faith. I wouldn't go into battle without the shield of faith. And uh, and, and let, let me explain the shield that the Romans used here that Paul was writing about for at least the Roman army of this era. The Roman shield was made up of six layers of leather. It was strong, but lightweight. It could completely repel arrows the shields, this is interesting, the shields had hinges on them so they could lock together with the guys beside them and they could they could form a moving wall and they could charge up there just one big wall because their shields in the Roman army could lock together so you could have a whole row of guys that are just a moving wall advancing towards the enemy. And so, you know, of course, we've got much more advanced things than that in 2018, but that's pretty incredible, the advancement that they had right there. And it says right here, so we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, come on. In our day and age, again, we see bullets. We see missiles. We see big things. And so it's easy to overlook this and be like, darts? So throw darts at me? Arrows? Who cares? Well, listen to me. The enemy back then, these Romans, these armies back then, They weren't playing around with their arrows. This wasn't a cute, you know, throwing darts at you. I mean, they could light arrows on fire and the Roman army could let off three arrows before the first one had hit the ground. I'm talking about. It's very similar to the Lakota Indian tribe. They were masters of the, of that bow and arrow. And these guys could just rip off arrows faster than they, than they could even hit the ground. They could hit you with three arrows by the time one cowboy had fired off one shot. It was insane how good they were with arrows. And for us, we're like, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Can you imagine? They're raining arrows down at you, man. Just like it's it's raining down upon you. Fiery arrows from the Roman army. Hello. That was pretty powerful stuff. And it's coming at you. And their arrows were so powerful and versatile. They, they could go right through a human body. I mean, these were the real deal. And so don't snicker when we say the... Fiery darts? Who cares about darts? I mean, this was some legit combat that the Romans were dealing with right here. But listen to me, just like they would do a, do a, an absolute blitz, a shotgun of arrows raining down and straight forward and from the sides. I mean, it was coming from all directions with these fiery uh, arrows from the Romans. This is the same way the enemy attacks you. Has anybody noticed besides me and Donnie, because we've talked about this, that sometimes, I mean, it would be nice if you could just plan out, OK, the enemy's going to attack Monday at nine. And then if I can fight that off the rest of the week, I'm good. Honey, put that in the calendar. We'll plan on that and then we're good. We can just take the rest of the week off. But I don't know about you. That's never happened in my life. I may have a month or two or six of pretty much relative ease. And then it seems like an all out, I mean, shotgun, like, boom, attack from the enemy. One thing after another, boom, 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 boom. Has that ever happened to anybody else? That's happened to me before. And I'm telling you, of course, it's not pleasant, but I'm not sitting here complaining or whining about it because I've got the shield of faith. I have a way to block these hits. I have the shield of faith. And uh, what does the Bible say that this shield is made out of? I just said it. Faith. The shield of faith. Now, if you've been in this church very long, I'm going to ask you a question, and you should be able to answer it. If you can't answer it, hit the door before I hit you. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How does faith come by hearing? Or how does faith come? <laughs> All right, I just gave it up. All right, Romans 10:17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. All right. I'll get you again. I'll throw something else in there. You can't come to church and not be tested. All right. So faith comes Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, faith doesn't come by having heard. Faith comes by hearing. It's an active, continual thing. Okay, because you I mean, if that's the case, you could have just gone one time and heard the gospel like boom, shield of faith locked in for life. I never have to hear again. Faith doesn't come from having heard one time. Faith comes. By hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. And so I I mean I will just step out on a limb, and actually this is this isn't even stepping out on a limb. It's just this is pretty safe to say. If you never read your Bible, if you never come to church, you don't have the shield of faith. That's not even I mean that's really, that's not even debatable. <laughs> faith come we're, by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You've gotta get into the Word of God. That's where faith comes from. And I see people saying, Lord, just give me more faith. Quit being lazy. Go out and hear the Word of God. Study it for yourself. Don't just sit there, that is, that's not how it works. It doesn't tell us to pray for more faith. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you're gonna get faith, you're gonna to have to get it like everybody else got it. By hearing the Word of God and actually spending some time in the Word. But a lot of people, they want to take They want to take the the lazy approach. Don't be a lazy Christian. Don't be a lazy soldier. You're not going to be a successful one if you're lazy. You can't let somebody else do all the work for you. Now, praise God that we have people that can mentor us and, and help us out along the way. But you need to hear the word of God and learn it for yourself. Can I get an amen? And some people are like, well, I'm just no good at, at memorizing. And then they'll quote off, you know, who won the Super Bowl in 1971 to me. Really? You can't memorize things? And Oh, oh man, I'll tell you what. Hank Aaron's batting average that year that he hit the 61 or whatever. He, he batted a 301. that. Really? And you can't memorize the Bible verse. But, man, you, so don't tell me you can't memorize things. You can, too, if you're really interested in it. You can memorize about cars. You can memorize about makeup. You can memorize about all sorts of things when you really care to. So, yeah, God expects you to memorize his word. Absolutely. And don't sit there and say that you can't if you have a brain in your skull and you memorize facts about other things. Don't lie to God. You can memorize scripture. You can. And you can memorize where it's found at. Anyway. All right. So uh, let's look here at 2 Corinthians 10. Because I don't know if you've caught on to this yet or not. One of the main areas that Satan likes to attack you is in the mind, in your thoughts. Remember, it said so you can stand against all the wiles of the devil. Wiles means tricks, and the reason that he uses attacking the mind so much is because you, we keep falling for it, and and we think that we think that well, yeah, that's right. You just start having a conversation inside your head with the devil and don't even realize it. Yeah, that does hurt, man. I bet oh. You know what? My great-great-grandpa had congestive heart failure, and here my right pinky is. Uh, it has nothing to do with anything, but man, I could have congestive heart failure too. Wow! And you, you just keep you build it up in your head. It's crazy. It's insane. And like I saw the she didn't even say hi to me this morning. Yep, I knew it. She's the one that said this about me because she would have said hi to me. And and you just you fall for this stuff all day long. And the devil's just sitting there laughing his head off as he's throwing little darts at you, and each one's landing. And all you would have to do is hold up the shield of faith and stop them, but you don't, because he's firing at your mind. And so, why would we say that 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 a big part of the spiritual warfare is the devil attacking us in the mind? Well, Second Corinthians ten three through five, New King James it says, "For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh." So basically, though you are a human being, you're not fighting a battle with human beings. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Amen. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so that I'm telling you right now, because you all you all come to me for counsel. Talk to me and you should. Thank you. you. Keep doing it. I'm not saying don't, but I'm saying I talk to lots of people every week from all over the world. I'm being totally serious and get the exact same questions from people in Pakistan as we get from people here in Barstow. And it usually has to boil down to the devil is attacking your mind and you're not taking every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You're just sitting there believing it. You're sitting there sulking in it. And first one arrow hits and then two, three, four, five. And then all of a sudden you're, you're in a fallout depression. And then, I mean, you're like, well, what good is it? I don't even know. And you you let things absolutely snowball downhill because we're not taking control of our thoughts. And that's a big thought of it, part of it. It says bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I dare you. I I absolutely dare you the next time any type of a negative thought comes into your mind. Whether it be about your health, about your spouse, about your children, about your job, about your money, whatever it is, take it. Take authority over it, man, and replace it with some scripture. Something comes into your head about you're not going to have enough money. Well, hold no, well, hold on. Philippians 4.19, we just read that in church tonight. It said, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And so, yeah, I'm not worried about the money thing. You start taking them into captivity. But. If not, just expect, I mean, the devil's not going to let up. You you realize that by now, right? That he's not going to say, I'm really starting to feel sorry for this guy, man. Wow. I've really let him have it. I better go pick on someone else. He's not going to do that. He's going to keep coming. All right. So, and again, not afraid. We're not being negative and spooky. Not afraid at all. I'm just saying, do what this says. Take your thoughts into captivity. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ Do something about it. Now, that is a deep teaching right there that could go on for weeks. But I'm, for whatever reason, trying to cram in three things tonight. So let's keep going here. The next thing that we're going to look at would be the fifth piece of your armor. And that is the helmet of salvation. Who likes to protect your head? I have noticed that heads are very important to the survival of the human being. Has anyone else noticed that? You're going to need that thing. A lot of us don't use it all the time, but myself included. <laughs> but I'm telling you right now, you're going to need that head someday to so just protect it, you know, don't let anything happen to it. But Ephesians uh 6:17, let's look at that. Ephesians 6:17 it tells us right here, "And take the helmet of salvation." Now, looking at the helmet, okay? Again, we're going back to the Roman soldier. We're not necessarily looking at modern day uh, combat techniques at the moment. We're looking at at the Roman Empire here. The helmet protected the soldier from swords and arrows that might get past his other defenses. So basically, if you've hit me in the head with your sword, you've got past a whole lot of other things that I had in place. The helmet is like the last line of defense. If you are getting to my head, you got past the shield. You got past the all sorts of other things that you shouldn't have got past, right? I mean, if somebody gets close enough to strike you in the head, they got pretty close to you. And, and the helmet for the Roman soldier, I mean, this was, this was the last line of defense. And, and, and it was very important that you keep the helmet on because you may think, well, I don't know. I mean, I've never needed it yet. Well, I wouldn't have that attitude. I mean, I, you, just because you haven't needed it yet doesn't mean you're going to need it. But I will say this, we're talking about not just the Roman helmet, we're talking about the helmet of salvation. And you have needed that yet because you're not even a Christian. If you don't have the helmet of salvation, salvation is how you got here in the first place. And so for you as a Christian, the devil may fire off a ton of arrows, actually, like we were just talking about. And if those have worked, he's getting closer and closer and closer because you didn't block the arrows that he was shooting from a 100 yards out. So he's just getting closer the whole time till finally he gets so close that he's right up to the level of your salvation. And believe me, there are people that won't even guard the salvation aspect. And and eventually, when you let the devil get that close, you begin even questioning your salvation. I've seen it happen. I know. And believe me. I wish I could say that it was just a once saved, always saved. Well, they said a prayer back in 1975. I mean, yeah, they've killed people since then and murdered and drunk and you know and all this stuff. But hey, they said that prayer back in the 70s, so they're still saved. No, you walked away. God didn't walk away from you, but you surely walked away from him. And we could go all throughout the New Testament and show you that just saying a prayer one time, thats that's a start. But you need to get somewhere else from there. And that's not just your get out of jail free card. Well, he said that. Listen, there are people that have walked away from God. I've seen it. You've seen it. And I'm I'm telling you, man, it's a sad thing. And I don't know why you would take off your helmet of salvation, lay it down and walk away from it and just walk into the middle of an active war zone. I have no idea why somebody would do that. It makes no sense, but people do it every day. There's people I know, love and care about that have taken off the helmet of salvation and walked right in to the firing line. And like, well, nothing's happening yet. <laughs> I'm fine. You get it. Listen to me. When you decide to walk away from God for a minute, you'll get this initial uh, absolute grieving on the inside of you. But if you dare to push through it and it hurts, but you push through and push through, eventually you break through that barrier. Then you have a very false sense of security and peace, and maybe some of you tonight are in that place. You've been pushing, walking away a little bit at a time, and 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 and, and it grieved you at first, but now you're doing things that that uh, that that used to grieve you. You don't even think about it anymore. You just do it because you're so used to doing it now. Now six months ago, you would have rather have taken a bullet than do that. But now you're like you're so used to it, you just do it. And listen to me. That's a dangerous place to be in because then the enemy, the wiles of the devil, you will have a very false sense of peace and security. I've seen it. And you're like, okay, everything's fine. All right. See, that, this whole time they said that if I did that, 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 that it would bring danger. In my, here I am. I'm making more money than I've ever made. Here I am. More, I've got more of this than I've ever had. And you feel like you've got it all together. You took the helmet off and you walked in to an active firing range. It hasn't hit you yet, but it will absolutely hit you. And you will not have the salvation on at that point. That's, that's awful. That is unthinkable what would happen to you without the salvation and the devil finally takes you out. That's his goal, is to get that close to you. To get you to take off the helmet of salvation. He's not going to get that close to me. Not going to let it happen. And I know you're, you're the same way. But listen to me. It's that serious. We're in warfare here. And it's a real thing. We're not making this stuff up. This is a real enemy we're fighting. And if he can get that close to you by landing all these darts, you need to start getting your shield of faith up. And if you never read the Bible, if you never hear the Bible, you never come to church, or you barely do. Listen to me, your shield is not up. I guarantee you. And he's going to start landing some arrows. He probably already has. It's something to look at. Something to look at. Romans ten thirteen. I don't know if I put this. Up. Yeah, I did. Okay. Romans ten thirteen. So, you know, we've looked at how to put on these different pieces of armor. Well, how do you put on the helmet of salvation? Well. The first thing, obviously, is Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everybody that called, that's the very first step. But sadly, so many people stop at that step. And that's why on Sunday mornings, we're talking about how to be a disciple of Jesus. Because you weren't just called to be a convert to Christianity. You were called to be a disciple, right? Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations not go make converts of all nations. And so that's the Sunday morning series right now. But this is the place to start to put on the helmet. But then you need to keep the helmet on. I mean, I played literally baseball for a whole bunch of years and I would put the helmet on each at bat, but then I would take it off. And so I couldn't go back out to bat again, right, until I put it back on. Just because I had it on in the first inning doesn't mean I had it on the whole game. I took it off and put a different hat on. And and a lot of people are like, well, I put it on, man. Back in 81, I said that prayer. I put the helmet on. Yeah, you took it off 13, 14 years ago or last month or last week or whenever. And now you're up again, man. You better put that thing on. You better be prepared. Just because you put it on doesn't mean you kept it on. And some people need to get a hold of that and understand that. And so it's easy to put it on, but you need to keep it on. And you real, we do realize this, that God will never take your salvation away. God will never take your salvation away. The only way to step out from salvation is by your own choice. You can choose that, and some people do. It wasn't God's choice, but some people do choose to walk away. But we are eternally secure, if you want to use that phrase, that, yeah, God's not going to just come and, and take it away. No, but it is possible for me to just you know, for whatever reason, take it off and walk away. Not a very smart thing to do. And so the helmet of salvation. And then let's look at the last one here. And this is the only offensive thing mentioned here. And it's the sword of the spirit, the sword of the spirit. So we've had a lot of levels of defense put on right from the. The belt, the boots, the breastplate of righteousness, uh we have the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. But then here we are with the one thing that he mentions offensively for us to use, and that is the sword of the spirit. Ephesians six seventeen. Ephesians six seventeen. And it tells us right here, and taking the sword of the spirit. This is your primary offensive weapon. Now, I know that God has other ways for us. You know, we can there, I believe that praising and worshiping is a way of fighting combat. Uh, I get that out of some of the Old Testament things. And then, uh, I mean, prayer is a big part of our warfare. But as far as the armor of God goes, he's mentioning right here the sword of the spirit. Does anybody know what the sword of the spirit actually is? Of course, you know what it is. Yes. The word of God, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the Roman army, throughout their history, they, they had about five different types of swords. They, and they experimented, they experimented with one called the gladius. It was so big, it took two guys to swing it, and that wasn't very effective, so they quit using that. But, the sword here, that, that, uh, that Paul would have been referring to, is called the Makara sword. Both, and it was, it, both edges, it was a double-edged sword. Both edges were razor sharp. It's about 19 inches long. And the tip of it was turned upward. Don't want to get too gross, but when they stabbed someone, they could twist and pull out someone's intestines. <laughs> so, but I'm telling you, it was a, it was a pretty, pretty nasty thing. But these soldiers, they were walking around the streets of Ephesus and all these other cities all the time with this thing just hanging right there like, I dare you to mess with me. People saw this sword and they knew like, okay, I don't want any part of that. The sword spoke for itself. Oh, so then when Paul said, you need to take the sword of the spirit. I don't know what you picture in your mind. But listen, you need to picture the Makara. You need to picture something that can do some damage to the enemy. Not just some cute little pocket knife. That's how some of us treat it. I put the sword somewhere. Oh. All right, I'm ready, devil. You're not ready. You're not ready at all, man. I'll slap it out of your hand. Listen to me. You need to have the sword of the spirit that Paul was talking about. A real weapon. A real weapon. And I'm telling you, the word of God is that dangerous to the devil when we use it. Just like this was. You can do some damage to the kingdom of darkness. Now, unfortunately, most Christians don't really know how to use their weapon. Why would I say that? Well, one reason is. When someone comes to me and I say, "Okay, what verse are you standing on for that?" Oh boy, oh gee, let me see here. Uh, was Genesis one says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth." Yeah, but you're coming to me for healing right now, and you're, you're that's a good creation verse. That's an awesome one, but you, what verse are you standing on? And I'm challenging this whole room tonight. You've got issues. I've got it. We've all got stuff we're facing right now. What specific verse are you standing on? And you do need to know chapter and verse, yeah, because you know. Well, didn't it say? Uh, I can't remember old or new testament, but uh by Jesus stripes or stri- by stripes were healed or something like that. I, I can't remember. And you wonder why you're not winning the battle. You've got the weapon, you just don't know how to use it. That'd be like sending our marines or our soldiers over there, and and they're like, "How do you use this thing, man?" And the enemy's moving in, and I, uh, I don't know what to, how do you, does anybody help? Somebody help? I don't know how to. No, man, they are efficient. I know especially our Marines are with those rifles. They, they know everything there is about that. My brother, I know Tony back there, they know how to use a stinking rifle when they need to. Listen to me. You should not go into battle not knowing how to use it. And sadly, a lot of Christians are in the middle of the war zone They do not know how to use the weapon. Again, you should have. I'm I'm being serious. What verse, specific verse, or especially verse is are you standing on right now? Something should instantly come to mind. If not, it's doubtful that you're really using the sword of the spirit. And let's look at Hebrews 4:12. Hebrews 4:12. This is another mention of the word of God and swords. Ephesians four twelve. Now I I I am proud of some of you. I've seen a lot of you really getting into the Word lately, especially on the Bible app. I've seen that and I like that. I mean I'm just I've seen um, Nadine over here. This lady's been devouring some Word lately, guys. She's been, she, every day. I mean I see her. She is digging in and that is awesome. And I'm telling you, we all of us we need to be doing that. We need to be taking it really serious. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive. It's powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. And so we just talked about that Roman sword. And, and here we are in Hebrews. And it says it's sharper than that. It's better than the best two-edged sword. And I think we could say in 2018, the Word of God is more powerful than the, you know, than the absolute best rifle on the market, than the best, mis- than the best missile, than the best artillery, whatever it is, the Word of God is more powerful than that. And then, as some of us are like, I don't know, a Bible that you don't know the Bible like some of us know the Bible, you would realize that yeah, it is alive, it is powerful, it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts. And desires. And I mean, there's 15 sermons in that. So I'm going to refrain from getting into that because we could definitely do that right now. But the word of God, man, if you really knew what you had, if you really knew the power that is in this right here, you would take this more seriously than you do your money. This Everything I'm saying, it fits in with our Sunday morning stuff. So I probably said all this already this week. But listen to me. If you really took the word of God seriously, if you really loved it, this would come before your money. This would come before your entertainment. This would come before your TV. And I am certain that most people I know spend more time with their TV than their Bible. This would come before your phone. And now I'm stepping into even, the, the I mean, the 90 percent of people that I, I think I saw the average average person spends about four hours a day on their phone average some spend more some spend less four hours can you imagine if you spent four hours with your bible can you imagine the shape the blessings that would be in your life well I don't know about you when I spend time on my phone I usually don't walk away feeling blessed I'm like wow, this world is just absolutely crumbling. But that's depressing. I can't believe I even read that. I mean, when I spend time with my phone, I don't hardly ever leave feeling built up and and just. But when I spend time with the Word of God, I walk away feeling like a new man every single time. We've got some weak soldiers, and I, 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 we got a great room of people tonight. I'm not talking about anybody here, but I'm just saying we've got some weak soldiers that they don't know. They don't know how to use their weapon and all. I mean, they... where's the book of John? Where, Huh? And you're going to witness to somebody? So now we know you're also not using the gospel of peace for your shoes because you don't even know how to find John 3.16. What page is that on? Is it on 986? I mean, come on, let's get real here. You need to be so familiar with this thing that the devil could come in the middle of the night and at a moment's notice you're ready it's locked and loaded right there, ready to go at any moment not okay whoa okay the, okay here comes a hit against my children i know uh I, I better call the pastor I better call it, well, uh, uh where's my Bible where is it where's is... if it's like that you are not ready to use this thing man you don't know you have no idea and so how do we use the sword of the spirit well you've got to read it that's the big part, but then we can speak the word and that's a big big Again, another big teaching that we could go into. But that's how the faith process works from the time you get saved, from throughout the rest of your life. You believe and you speak. Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells us that if we believe in our hearts and say with our mouths that Jesus Christ, God raised from the dead, we will be saved. Believe in your heart and say with your mouth. And then Mark 11 tells us, believe in your heart, say with your mouth. Mark 11, 23, 24. It just keeps repeating it. It's the same cycle. You believe in the heart, then you speak the word with the mouth. It's not, I mean, it's definitely not rocket science. I know that's not, you know, as uh, sophisticated and, and high tech as, you know, the bombs and stuff we use today. But it's super easy. God made the word To where anybody could use it. Whether you got a PhD or you didn't finish high school, this is for everybody. Nobody just is born with some upper hand. God's Word is for every person. But we're all responsible for learning how to use it. And so, I'm challenging us, I'm out of time, but listen to me. For the love of everything, man. Start using this thing. Spend time with it. Put the stinking phone down. Unplug the TV. Put your tablet in the closet. I mean, hide your car keys. Lock. I Just do something, but spend some time with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and start fighting back against the devil, man. Quit trying to just survive in life. Start gaining some ground and getting into his territory and taking some stuff back. Amen? Learn how to use it. We are out of time. Let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. Amen?